after the early service, I had someone come up to me and say this about joy. Joy is like a flag over the castle that tells everyone around that the king is home. Isn't that good? I love that. What a great image. Can you choose joy? That's the question this morning. Can you choose it? We've already sung joyfully to him this morning, but can you choose joy? This summer, we're looking through the Psalms. We're picking out different Psalms that are representative of the different types of Psalms. Psalms of lament, Psalms of praise, and everything in between. And we're looking at the way that past is composed for future fruit. That each Psalm and each type of Psalm gives a hint to the future. That when we allow certain things in us to die, we create a seedbed for future growth, for the fruit of love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control. Past is compost for future fruit. Assumptions can be compost. The way that we think about the world, the way that we, uh, we frame up reality, the, the assumptions that we make, certain patterns in our lives, certain habits, idols. There are certain parts of us that need to fall to the ground and die so that they can become the compost for future fruit. This morning, can we choose joy? From the Word of God, Psalm 145. I'm going to read it all. It's not terribly long. What I want you to do is, is open the scriptures, if you have them there, if you would. Open the scriptures and follow along with me. And, um, but, but don't follow too closely that you can't hear. This is a song. There's some rhythm to this. There is some music to it. Just let it wash over you this morning. Psalm 145. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord. And all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and 
You give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There was a a fellow who went to the doctor, and the doctor ran some tests, and he came back, and he had sort of a neutral look on his face, and the man got a little nervous, and the doctor said to him, you should be fine. You should be able to just live a normal life as long as you stop enjoying yourself. Yeah, that got a little better laugh than the early service. (laughs) It was really tough because nobody laughed at the early service, and I just kind of went on, just like, well, where does joy come from? Is it circumstantial? Is it just something we gin up? Is it something we choose? Can we choose joy? How do we get more of it? Let's take a look at what joy is this morning. What is it? What keeps us from it? And how do we get more of it? Joy. What is it? What keeps us from it? And how do we get more of it? I love this definition of joy. It's a delight that runs deeper than pleasure and pain. A delight that runs deeper than pleasure and pain. That's worth remembering. That's worth maybe making a little note card and sticking it somewhere where you can memorize it. Thinking and understanding what joy is. What should you expect in terms of joy? It's a delight that runs deeper than pleasure or pain. What do I mean by running deeper? What does that mean? Let me read to you uh, a note that I received from a friend of mine named Bill Pardue. Bill is a pastor. He's an associate pastor at First Presbyterian Church, Rome, Georgia. And Bill has just lost his wife. He's 40 years old. His wife was 38. She had breast cancer. It came back. And uh, his service for her was just a few days ago. But about a month ago, when they, they saw that things were not going in the right direction or in the direction that they would choose, he wrote this. In contrast to this dark diagnosis, the light of God's glory and the radiance of his mercy and grace is before us in incredible ways. We are more confident than ever of God's goodness, sovereignty, nearness, and love. His great and precious promises have been a source of assurance and strength. While we are not immune to the sadness of the situation and do feel the sting of life in a broken world, the glory of God, who is and was and is to be, and what he has done, overshadows this surprising moment of providence in a way that has caused us to tell of his might 
and sing of his grace. Here's a man who's facing the death of his wife. He's recognizing that joy is a delight that runs deeper than pleasure or pain. You see, we have to recognize what this is not. This isn't put on a happy face. This isn't pretend away. This isn't using your, your faith as some sort of coping me- mechanism that, that makes the pain go away, that joy is somehow something that we're supposed to do or supposed to have because Christians have eternal life, and so we're supposed to, even in the face of death, you know, just sort of be happy, happy, hallelujah, as if it didn't hurt, as if there weren't profound questions. But for each of us, to be in fellowship with God, to recognize who God really is and his character, and to understand that God is from everlasting to everlasting, and to recognize that God is sovereign in and through all things, to relate to that God, to have your life oriented to the Lord that way, to understand who he is in the midst of sorrow, is to have a joy that runs deeper than pleasure or pain. It's to have permission to grieve, and yet to know a profound love that brings a sense of joy. For each of us, as, uh, as M. Scott Peck, he says at the beginning of his book, this is, you know, I love opening lines of a book. You ever notice how opening lines of a book kind of tell you a lot about what's, what's coming next? You know, like Purpose Driven Life, I quoted a few weeks ago, it's not all about you. The opening line of... Of, of M. Scott Peck's The Road Less Traveled is this. Life is difficult. It's a book for you. You're going to go out and buy it today. You know, some of you are already on Amazon here on your phones. Life is difficult. But for each of us, what God wants for us is the kind of relationship with him, the kind of knowledge about what he has done in the past, what he is about in the present, and what he will be in the future. He wants the kind of connection for us such that we would have a delight that runs deeper than pleasure and pain. To get to the place where God's riddles are more satisfying than life's answers. I think that's true for every one of us. The call to follow Jesus, the call to trust in God, the call to delight in him and to say with your own lips, to say outwardly expressions of praise, to extol him, to exalt him, to lift his name high daily, is to be able to make the kind of connection with God that will allow us to have a delight that runs deeper than pleasure and pain. Sometimes, in other words, it's not to say as a Christian in the midst of sorrow, oh, there's a rainbow at the end, right? There's a rainbow at the end of every... Sometimes joy is a rainbow, yes. Sometimes joy is a celebration. Sometimes joy is a rainbow. And sometimes joy is simply a place to watch the rain. It's a delight that runs deeper than pleasure and pain. So what keeps us from it? What keeps us from joy? That's what joy is, a delight that runs deeper than pleasure and pain. What keeps us from joy? What keeps us from having greater joy? In a word, it's shame. Now, you might not make the connection right away. You might not even see how throughout this psalm, Psalm 145, 
David is setting aside his shame, shamelessly praising God. Can you imagine, uh, can you imagine uh, tonight at the dinner table uh, somebody praying this way? On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate, we'll meditate. We're so grateful, Lord, for this food that you've set before us. And we shall speak of the mighty, awesome deeds of the past. We shall declare your greatness. It'd blow your hair back, wouldn't it? I mean, we don't tend to pray that way. We don't tend to reveal what we have within. Why not? We're too used to hiding. We're too used to hiding. Like Adam and Eve, we're behind our fig leaf, right? There's a sense, uh, and we don't even understand, always understand what we're hiding about. Why are we hiding? What are we hiding? Well, Adam and Eve, uh, they were hiding their independence. They were hiding the fact that they had cut themselves off from God. It's a little like this. What if, you had, what if you had three close friends, right? And you had introduced them to each other. Imagine this. You had three close friends. You introduced them to each other. And, uh, and you walked into a restaurant. And there they are without you. And they're planning a trip, the three of them, to go without you. And you walk up to their table. And they've made these plans. And, and, and there they are just sort of ashamed. Ashamed that they've cut themselves off. Ashamed that they've made these plans. Ashamed that they're functioning. Their, their, their friendship is independent of the person that, that brought them together in the first place. That's just a little teeny taste of what it would be like to stand there as the first couple who, who recognized they had cut themselves off from fellowship with God. We're ashamed in some ways. We're almost always every day trying to make life work for us apart from God. And we know that we have so many different ways in us that are shameful because of that fact. We want to be independent. You know, the thing that gives shame its power is not speaking it. What makes shame powerful, what makes shame powerful is the fact that it is unspeakable. But, listen to what Brene Brown, who's a, kind of a TED's Talk YouTube sensation and a researcher and professor in Texas, she says this, if we can share our story with someone who responds with empathy and understanding, shame cannot survive. Let me say that again. If we can share our story with somebody who responds with empathy and understanding, shame cannot survive. Uh, in recent years, uh, I watched this happen. A friend of mine, somebody I'd known a long time ago, uh, began to develop a, a very troubling habit. And it began to put a wedge between him and his wife. And increasingly, he sought uh, variety and novelty over commitment and vulnerability. And over the years, he killed the intimacy of his marriage, destroyed his marriage. They've long since divorced. And... In the middle of all that, I kept waiting for him to call me because I've heard him say 
to, uh, to a couple other people that he considers me to be one of his closest friends. And I kept waiting for his call. Talk to me. Kept thinking. I kept praying for him, hoping for the best, wanting him to reach out to me. Finally, I just gave up, and I just called him. I said, buddy, where have you been? What have you been up to? He said, I just am so ashamed. I'm so embarrassed. And as a result, he cut himself off from the people in his life that could express empathy and understanding and destroy shame so that relationship can thrive again. There was no judgment. I knew I was hurting. I understood the damage was already done. All I could do in, in saying anything to try to bring some kind of correction is judge him. So I just listened. And, and the note I got back from him was an, a, one of the most powerful notes of gratitude that I've ever, I've ever received. It illustrates for me how important it is to destroy shame, to get out from behind the fig leaf, to name what's going on, and to be able to get to the place not only where we can name those silences, but also in a more positive direction, shamelessly praise God from one generation to the next. Not hide. See, what this is all about, what keeps us from joy is our hiding. Hiding. I remember when I was young, I... Uh, an older gentleman I was talking to said, my generation just doesn't like to uh, be open and, and outward with our faith. We, we just don't like to, to, uh, to express. We're not, just, we're not openly expressive about our faith. And, you know, I didn't say this, but what I wanted to say was, well, how did you ever learn about it in the first place? Because somebody else was open with you. Somebody else flew the flag over the castle. To let you know that the king was home, somebody else expressed their joy outwardly enough to be able to, to show you their life. But shame, shame keeps us hiding, a fear of that vulnerability. And yet, verse 4 of Psalm 145, one generation shall commend your good works to another. See, that's, that's how the faith gets passed on. It's people's joy that's expressed unabashedly, outwardly, joyfully, to learn how to celebrate God so that people, as they say, more is caught than taught. What are people learning from you because your joy just bubbles up? Or are you hiding? You see, Shame keeps us from greater joy. So how do we get greater joy? If we can't choose it, we cannot choose joy. You know, you can see there are lots of books out there that says choose happiness or make it a decision or choose joy or whatever it is. That you, it's almost as if you can just sort of put in a little bit more effort and then you can, you can sort of push out the clouds and pull in the rainbows and, and now you've got more joy as if it were just sort of an act of the will. You cannot choose joy. It's a fruit of the Spirit. True joy that runs deeper than pleasure and pain, that's a, that's a result of something else. It's a result of choosing something else. Well, what is that thing? I've been hinting at it the whole time. You can hear it behind what David is saying in Psalm 145. Let me read 
a few lines and see if you can put a name on what you think it is. What is it that creates a seedbed for joy to grow? What do you hear in this? The Lord is gracious and merciful. What if somebody just said to you, you know, the Lord has been so gracious and merciful to me. What would you think? What would you think? What are they feeling? What is it that they're nurturing? Verse 2, every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and forever. What kind of person, what kind of state are you in when you make that kind of statement? Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. The Lord is faithful in all his works, kind in all his works. Doesn't it sound like gratitude? Well, it is. It's somebody who's grateful. More is caught than taught. And what is caught from Psalm 145 is an increasing sense of gratitude, a sowing of the seed of joy because of a richness in gratitude. In other words, shame dies. Shame dies and begins to create fertile ground for gratitude to begin to allow joy to grow. It's a little like this. The, the, dog, uh, the dog story about the dog who's chasing his tail. You heard this story about the dog who's chasing his tail. And he says, you know, he, he, he's trying to catch his tail. And the older dog says, why are you trying to chase your tail? He said, he said I'm trying to catch my tail because I think if I catch it, it will make me really happy. <laughs> That's, I mean, when I look at a dog chasing his tail, I think that must be what he's thinking, right? That must be what he's thinking. If he catches it, right, I'll be so happy if I just catch my tail. And the older dog says, well, just go about your business. Because what I find is when I go about my business, my tail follows me, right? <laughs> what is the business of the Christian life daily to sow gratitude, to create a seedbed of gratitude? Because then the tail follows you. Joy begins to grow all on its own. You know, Viktor Frankl, who, who had everything in his life except for his life stripped from him in the concentration camps of Germany, said this. The, the, the one thing that people cannot take from me, he said, is the freedom to respond in life to what happens to me. The freedom to respond. We can't choose joy, but we can choose to be grateful in the midst of difficulty. We have the freedom to choose to be grateful. What dies, what dies is a sense of vulnerability. What dies and becomes compost is our sense of entitlement. You know, so often I think, you know, I, when, I'm, when I'm, my expectations are dashed, I think to myself, I didn't get what I deserved. <laughs> how, do you be, how can you be grateful in those kinds of moments? Well, what I usually discover in further reflection is, thank God I didn't get what I deserved. You can choose to be grateful in all kinds of circumstances. We'll close with this. It's, it's this image. It's the image from verse 4. One generation shall commend your good deeds to another. You see, they can't help it. Joyful people can't help but commend. 
People who have chosen daily to bless God, people who have chosen daily to, to, to be grateful, in, even in the midst of difficulty, people who have chosen daily to be grateful, find a joy that runs deeper than pleasure and pain. And it's like this, this 95-year-old who's, who's planting a, a peach tree, and someone comes along and says, you know, you're probably never going to eat peaches from that tree, right? I mean, it takes like 10 years for, for a peach tree to grow tall enough for it to produce peaches. And he said, yeah, I know that. But it occurred to me the other day that I've always eaten peaches off a tree that somebody else planted for me. What kind of message are you sending? Not just how much joy can you get for yourself, but how much gratitude are you, are you sowing such that the flag of joy over the castle of the king is flying and says, the king lives here. Let's pray together. Holy God, how we thank you that you allowed this earthly life to perish, that an eternal joy may be ours. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.